Well, we're going to get started. You, uh, if your Bible's not open, you can open it to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we begun a new series for the summer uh, last week. Kids in the room. Kids, I am so grateful to have you here this morning, to have you a part of things. Uh, kids, last week I talked to your parents uh, about this new book that we're studying this summer. It's a letter from a man named Paul to a church uh, in a town called Philippi. So the book is called Philippians. And I told them, kids, if you're listening, I told them that the main point of this letter is that we are partners in the gospel. That, that as a church, we are partners. We're meant to work together. Some parts of Scripture call us the family of God. Some parts of Scripture call us the household of God. Some parts of Scripture call us the body of Christ. But here in Philippians, Paul says we are partners we work together. You could say we're on the same team. So kids, I need your help. Uh, if you don't mind pausing on your, your worksheet, I have a little trivia for us, and I need you to help me uh, answer these questions. So here's how it's going to work, kids. If you don't mind, you can help me. I'm going to tell you the few names, a few names of, of people that are on a team together, people who are partners together. And I'm going to tell you a few names, and I want you to tell me what the name of their team is. Okay, so I'm going to start with one that I know that at least my boys will get. It's an easy one. So the, the easy one, this is an example. If I tell you the names Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Clayton Kershaw, what's the team that they're all a part of? Yeah. Yeah, the Dodgers. Woo, go Dodgers. Okay, perfect. You know what's going on. Okay, so here we go. Let's try a few more. Again, some of these are teams, some of these are groups, some of these, you, you'll, you'll get the idea. But if I give you the names, Fozzie Bear, Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, an animal, who is it? Muppets. The Muppets, yes, thank you, Graham, exactly. Okay, we're going to go a little younger, okay, for the little younger crowd. If I tell you the names, Ryder, Chase, Rubble, Rocky. Paw Patrol, that's right, it's the Paw Patrol. You got it, okay. Another one kind of in that vein for our younger kids in the room. If I tell you the names, Captain Barnacle, Quasi, Peso, who is it? Octonauts, that's right, yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll trend a little older now. We have some students in the room, some who are, who are more uh, heading into adolescence. Um, the names Frodo, Gimli, Gandalf, Legolas, Okay, so the, the, the series is Lord of the Rings, but what's their group called? Do you know? The Fellowship. That's right. This is the Fellowship of the Ring. They, they partner together to take on Sauron and destroy the ring. Exactly. Okay? Uh, this one we, I talked to your parents about. It, it's an easy one. Uh, but Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk. What is it? Avengers. Exactly. You guys crushed it. Thank you, kids. You help us uh, understand. You know your teams so well. Well, in our passage this morning, Paul is again going to pick up this theme of, of being a team together. He's going to say that we are, we're partners and we're partakers. He says we're partners in the gospel, teammates. Now, kids, again, I'm going, to, I'm going to pull you away from your worksheet, but actually this is on your worksheet. So, kids, I'm going to teach you a word in Greek. Okay, this is a Greek word. Are you ready? It's pronounced like this, koinonia. So, I'll break it down, koinonia. No, Nia. Can you guys say that with me, kids? Koinonia. Hey, that's pretty good. Kids, one more time. Koinonia. Say it. Okay, adults, you can join in. Let's say it. Koinonia. 
Awesome. Okay, koinonia. This word means partnership. Partnership or sharing. Oftentimes it's translated fellowship. But the idea is being together. Be working together, sharing in something or pushing something forward or being in it together, being partners, being partakers. The word itself, it shows up twice in our passage, but the idea of it is all over our passage and all over this book. I mentioned this last week, but as you move through chapter one, if you were to read it in English, every time you see the word you, where he says, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you, every time he says you, it's plural, it's a group. If you're in the South, you might say y'all. Hey, y'all, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for y'all. If you're, you know, an Italian gangster, you might say yous or yous guys. You know, it's, it's plural every single time. But also, if you look at chapter one, the word all is included several times. So verse one, it says all the saints. Verse four, in every prayer of mine, for you all. Verse seven, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Verse 7, again, you are all partakers with me of grace. Verse 8, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. Verse 25, I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. All, 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 all. Now, as we consider this church, whatever internal conflict or tension there might have been, Paul does not choose sides. He's telling them all to agree and love and partner together. He's thankful for them all, and he prays for them all. Why? Well, because they are a part of the koinonia of the church. They're partners. They're partakers. They're sharers in this thing together. Okay, so Paul will again call us to be partners in the gospel. Let's read our passage, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Here we go. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Father God, as we open your word, speak to us now through it. Would this prayer that Paul prays be true of us? Would we hear from you and would our love abound more and more because of what we hear? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if your Bible's open, uh, maybe in your Bible you have little headings uh, in the margins or kind of above each section. And the heading for this passage that we just read says, Thanksgiving and prayer. Thanksgiving and prayer. Well, that is what we are going to find. And so our outline this morning is just two parts. We're going to look at the Thanksgiving for the koinonia of the church and then the prayer 
for the koinonia of the church. Paul is writing to tell the Philippians and us that we are called to be partners in the gospel. And through his thanksgiving and prayer, we will see some of what it means to be partners and how to live into that calling. So let's start with our first point, thanksgiving for the koinonia of the church. Our passage begins with warm, thankful joy. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God. Okay, so his thanksgiving is to God. It's directed to God for what? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all. So his thanksgiving is to God for the church. I thank my God making my prayer with joy. His thanksgiving is to God for the church, overflowing from joy. Why? I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel. His thanksgiving is to God for the church, full of joy because of their koinonia, because of their partnership. When did this happen? Well, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Wow. Paul is overflowing with thanksgiving and joy because the Philippian church is united with him in believing and living out and advancing the gospel. Now, he was there when it all began, and he is so thankful for everything that has happened since then until now. Paul's thanksgiving shows us that there are, there are two layers to this koinonia, two layers to this fellowship, two layers to this partnership. Okay? There is the divine layer, okay, God's work, and then the human layer, our work. There's God's work and our work. Did you notice that Paul doesn't thank the Philippians for their partnership? He thanks God. He turns to God and thanks God for their partnership. Why? Why is he thankful to God for their partnership? Well, he explains in verse 6. He who began a good work in you. So the first day until now, on the first day, God was at work. Now, sometimes in, in my family, um, I will thank my wife, I'll thank Karis for what my kids do. So my birthday rolls around or Father's Day rolls around and I get these wonderful cards from my kids and I say, thank you kids, these are beautiful, they're so gorgeous, thank you for this artwork, these stick figures. And then I turn to Karis and say, thanks, <laughs> thank you for having them do this. Why? Well, it's their work, it's their drawing, it's their artwork, but I know, especially with the youngest kids, there was a, a little encouragement, hey, do you want to draw a picture for dad? Hey, should we make some cards? Hey, what do you want to tell him? It's, they were involved. They were doing it. But that good work began with her. And I thank her for their good work. And similarly, here, Paul says, he who began a good work in you. Their partnership is, is God's work. But he goes on, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. Whoa. When Paul considers their partnership, their teamwork, their fellowship. He sees it as a work of God that covers the past up until the present, the first day until now, and extends all the way until the day of Christ. His faith and thanksgiving extend on into the future. And this causes him to burst out in joyful thanksgiving. Now this is, again, I call it the, the divine layer, a level at which this koinonia is a work of God. 
such that he gives God thanks. Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't a part of it. It doesn't mean that they weren't obeying. It doesn't mean that they weren't participating, wrapped up in it. It is their partnership that he's thankful for. But he sees, he understands there's a layer here. There's something going on that maybe the human eye can't see on its own. He sees the layer of God's divine involvement in bringing it to be and divine involvement in bringing it to completion. Now, Acts chapter 16. Actually, turn there. We can, we can look at this together. If you have, turn in your Bibles, so go left. Uh, in your Bibles, a couple, cha- a couple books over to Acts chapter 16. Last week I said we'd look at this. This is when the church starts. So if you're there, Acts 16, we can start with verse 12. He sails to Philippi, and then we read this. To Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. This is when he first goes there, first plants the church. He says, we remained in the city some days. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Get this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized and her household as well. Whoa. God goes to Philippi. Excuse me. Oh, yes. God was all. Well, Paul goes to Philippi. That's what I'm going to say. Paul goes to Philippi. He goes to this prayer gathering. He begins speaking the gospel, and Lydia opens her heart, or rather, the Lord opens Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said. Now, we're not told here in Acts 16 exactly what Paul says when he spoke to them, but it's not hard to imagine, based on other sermons he preaches, other things that we've seen him do, it's not hard to imagine that what he spoke was very similar to what he will speak to the Philippian jailer a couple verses later in verse 31. In that passage, the jailer is like, ah, woe is me. And Paul says to him, he preaches the gospel, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's a command, obey, believe. And I imagine that was similar to what he said to Lydia, believe and you will be saved. And she did. I imagine Lydia, you know, she probably looked back that day that this weird guy Paul showed up in their town and she would look back and I bet she remembered this day for a long time. She remembered what Paul spoke and remembered how she responded in faith. She could look back and say, I believed and was baptized. But Luke doesn't record what she does. He tells us what God does. Luke, like Paul, sees the inner story of conversion going on, that it was the Lord who opened her heart to pay attention. And so it is with all of us. See, we all can look back and say, I believed. See my partnership in the gospel. Look at how I believed. But we should also hear the profound truth that Paul lets us into, which is that it was God who began this good work in us. And as sure as Paul is that God started it, Paul is just as sure that God will finish it. So Paul tells us of this divine layer of this koinonia, this partnership, and it causes Paul to give thanks to God for his work. But there's also a human layer. So let's look at that. Verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. There's that koinonia word, partnership. 
Verse 7, for you are all partakers with me of grace. It's another form of koinonia. They are partners in the gospel. They are fellow partakers of grace. They have believed and been saved and then lived out that salvation and then helped advance the gospel. They have joined him in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The church's partnership has extended beyond just participating in worship services, but it has overflowed in generosity and a willingness to suffer for Christ. Their partnership has overflowed into financially supporting him while he is in chains and pushing the gospel into Rome and beyond, maybe to Spain. Their faith is not just a receptive, consumeristic participation. It also has this reflexive desire to give back in time and money and effort and sweat and tears and blood. Paul sees this evidence, this evidence of their faith from the first day until now. He sees their profession of faith, their baptism, their generosity, their lifestyle, their support. He sees this all and is overjoyed by their shared participation in what he believes and how he lives. They're partners in it. They're together. They're a team. And this evidence that he sees causes him to erupt in thanksgiving to God because Paul believes that this is evidence that God has been at work in them. Paul is he's so profoundly thankful, so much so it moves him to his core. Look at how he goes on, verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. They are so dear to him. Jump down to verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He sees this evidence of their faith and the outworking of their faith and their participation and partaking, and he feels Christ's love for them. This is so good. He says, God is at work in you, and Christ is at work in me. I have his love for you because of this evidence of what you're up to. Church, we got a chance to share a few minutes ago. And I, I got to hear a bit of this, but I, I'll ask, do you feel Christ's affection for one another? I hope so. I hope you see the evidence of each other's faith, the way that you're influencing one another, and that you yearn for each other with the affection of Christ. I do. I just want you to know, I, I look at Anthem Camarillo and I am overjoyed by the evidence of your faith. Your faith gives me joy. I give thanks to God because as, as a group of people, most of whom have believed and been baptized, I give thanks that we gather weekly to praise this God who has saved us in Christ. I give thanks that we respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction and we, we repent and we turn from our sin and we make a habit of trying to do this. I give thanks that I see the gospel working its way out as you love each other and as you disciple your kids and as you carry one another's burdens. I give thanks that together we are moved to generosity and that we can give to things like hope partners in Costa Rica and and. India and Nepal and other places, and Zoe International, which is saving women out of trafficking and girls. I'm thankful that we, together, because of our generosity, we can support things like Arise Church in Ventura on the Avenue and the work they're doing. 
I give thanks that our faith spills out into gospel advance as we live in front of our neighbors and seek to share the gospel and defend the gospel and confirm the gospel in the witness of our lives. I give thanks for you. For our koinonia that we experience as a church. And I'm thankful that the evidence of this partnership points to God's beginning a good work in you and God's work to bring it to completion. I'm thankful for your past and present and that we are partners in the gospel into the future until the day of Christ. All right. Paul goes on, and so should we. Let's move from the thanksgiving for the koinonia to the prayer for the koinonia of the church. Paul told us that he prays for the Philippian church, but then in verses 9 to 11, he actually tells us or he shows us what he prays. Okay, let's look at it. What specifically does he pray for? Verse 9, that their love would abound more and more. Okay, this is not just a little bit of growth. No, no, no. He says he wants this love to abound. And not just abound, but abound more. And not just abound more, but abound more and more. This is not some small uptick of love, but serious growth. Paul will settle for no less in his prayer for them. But he goes on, he prays for this love to abound with knowledge and all discernment. Now, it's easy for us to just to read over those, okay? Paul's just kind of piling up words. He's, he's kind of a wordy guy, you know, but we shouldn't. <laughs> okay, those two words, knowledge and discernment, easy to read over, but they correspond to the two greatest commandments, to love God and love neighbor. When he says knowledge, that's a word that's almost universally used in the New Testament for knowledge of the things of God. Spiritual knowledge, understanding of the gospel, who God is, what he has done. Paul prays for a love that grows because of who God is and what he has done. It's with knowledge. And a love that grows for who God is and what he has done as they grow in knowledge. The word translated discernment, well, this carries the idea of of moral discernment or wisdom. It's knowing how to act rightly in the world. He's praying for a love that grows and grows, showing itself in moral living. It doesn't just live in your head or in your heart. It's lived out. It's acted. This is a prayer for an over-the-top love of God and neighbor. An over-the-top love for heaven and earth. An over-the-top love that works out in worship and in working for the shalom that Kevin taught on a few weeks ago. Paul prays for this, for the Philippians. But, get this, he also saw it in them. That's why he gave thanks. He saw this love from the first day until now. I mean, if you read Acts 16, no sooner had Lydia come to faith than then she then turned and was compelling them to receive hospitality. She wanted to live it out, to act it out. No sooner had the jailer come to faith than he began binding their wounds. See, partaking in grace bursts out into loving partnership. This is why Paul was so thankful and joyful and sure of God's involvement in their partnership. He saw so much evidence. Evidence of the gospel working its way out in love. And then he prays for more. Paul prays for this growth, and he has a result in mind. Verse 10, he goes on, he says, so that, okay, so there's a result he wants. So that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, this is over-the-top prayer. That you might approve what is excellent. What does that mean? That we would know what the best thing is, what is excellent, and that we'd go after that. He says pure and blameless. Pure and blameless. That's inner character and outward behavior. Pure, inner character, blameless, outward behavior. That would be above reproach. Holiness inside and out. I mean, friends, what a prayer for this cultural moment that we are in. As we wrestle with how to approach the the tough questions going on in our society, how to address them as Christians, how to, to love each other in the midst of this turmoil and wrestle with this stuff. When there's so many issues that could or tend to divide us, he prays that we would approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless. He's praying for a love that abounds more and more that leads, well, to, to right values, to right feelings, to right thinking, to right aspirations, to right living. He wants us to be Christ-like through and through. Or as he says, filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, all of these things will be teased out more as we move through this letter. He's going to address our attitudes later. He'll address our affections and our intentions and our actions as we interact with one another. And our lives lived in front of the watching world. But before he instructs them in these things, he prays that it would be true in them. So having given thanks for their koinonia, their partnership, he prays for the completion of their koinonia. Now some of you might be Greek scholars and you're looking at your Bible and you're like, well, hold on, he doesn't use that word in this prayer in the second half. He doesn't say koinonia in verses 9 to 11. But we know that he has it in mind. Because in verse 6, he says, God has begun a good work that he will bring to completion on the day of Christ. Something will be completed on the day of Christ. And then in verse 10, Paul says that the end result of what he's praying will be a a flawless fullness for the day of Christ. In both cases, he's looking to the end. He's saying, God, get us there. I know you will. The work being completed, is the growth for which Paul prays. He is praying for the completion of their partnership, their koinonia. Notice verse 8. He says that he yearns for them with the affection of Christ. He has Christ's love for them. And then he prays that they would have love, specifically verse 11, that comes through Jesus Christ. He has Christ's love for them, And he wants them to have Christ's love as well. He wants them to share in what he has. He's praying for more partnership, more partaking, more koinonia. But this brings up a big question. If Paul has seen the evidence of their partnership, and verse 6, he's sure that God will bring it to completion, then why pray for it? If he's seen it and he's so confident, why, why pray for this thing for which he's so confident? Well, it goes back to those two layers. <laughs> Divine involvement, human involvement. Paul shows us what to do in light of the interplay between these two things, between God's work and our work. See, Paul sees the outward work of the church. He sees it. And he trusts 
that it's a reflection of the inward work of God. But he can't know for sure. We can't see into each other's hearts. So he prays that what he sees and believes would be true and abound more and more. We could say that his posture is confidence and carefulness. Confidence when it comes to God and carefulness when it comes to humans and the human heart. He rejoices and gives thanks because he is confident in God and he prays because he's careful with the human heart. He can't know for sure who is a true disciple. Only God knows. And he, he can't know maybe who's just going through the motion. I mean, we have the parable of the wheat and the tares in the Gospels that, that point to this. He can't know. So what does he do? He prays for them all. He prays for them all. He prays full of joy and thanksgiving for what he sees. And then he prays that they would, in fact, experience and know what it is they appear to be experiencing and knowing. He prays for the reality of Christ to settle in. He wants them to have the fullness of life that is the end of their koinonia. Parents in the room, if I may say, this is a great example of how we can pray for our kids. As they grow up in our homes and they make expressions of faith, we should not be skeptical. No, we should rejoice and be charitable for the way that they express love for God. We should expectantly then look for evidence to the credibility of this faith that they profess. And we should pray. We should pray that they would experience what they express. See, we don't need to know the state of their hearts to pray that God would cause their love to abound more and more. Whether God has begun his good work in them or will begin his good work in them, either way we can pray that he fills them with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. My kids know, and as they have growing up, there's times when we pray before meals or pray before bed, and sometimes they ask, hey, Dad, can you, you know, teach me to pray, help me to pray, and so I walk them through a litany, and whether I'm praying for them or I'm having them repeat after me, I tend to always end the prayer. We get towards the end, and it, I always pray, we love you, God. Help us love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. And they know when we get to that part, it's, okay, this prayer is wrapping up. We're landing the plane, and then they, they can repeat it, but I'll often say, okay, we love you, God, and they know, help us love you more. I want to put the words in their mouth. I, I want them to be able to express love for God if they have it. And I want them to pray for more of it, to know that it's not a one-time deal and they're done. But there's more and more to be had. Help us love you more. Help our love to abound more and more. Church, this is so instructive for us as we approach church life together. We can rejoice in the outward works that we see in each other's lives. We can find assurance in them and say, wow, look what God is up to in your life. And then we can ceaselessly pray for those that we see that they would actually experience what they profess, that they would actually experience the partnership they appear to have entered into and actually experience what they appear to be enjoying. Imagine what our, well, our koinonia, imagine what our partnership, our fellowship together would be like if we prayed like this for one another. Okay. Bible study over. Okay. We're done with the, the deep dive. So what? Okay, so what? 
Paul calls us to be partners in the gospel. He gives thanks and he prays. So what? What do we do with this? Well, I actually think it's, it's pretty simple. I'm just going to give us three things, and they're probably going to be obvious. Number one, thank God for this partnership that we have. Thank God for your church. Be a people of thanksgiving. You might need to look for evidences of our partnership in the gospel. If you're discouraged, look for it. Look, look, look. Look for evidences of God's faithful work in each other's lives from the first day until now. Look for the evidences of people participating and partaking in grace and abounding in love. Look for it and then turn and give God thanks. Turn to God and thank God with joy for this partnership, for this body, for this koinonia that we get to witness and experience and live together. And as you give thanks, I think you will find your joy increasing. And I think you will find the call to be partners in the gospel will become, will become a joy to accept and to live out. Thank God for this body. Second, pray. Okay? Pray for this partnership. After giving thanks, pray for each other. Pray for our unity. Pray for our gospel witness. Pray for our love to abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Pray for our partnership in the gospel. You will find your heart expand along with your joy the more you pray for your church. You will discover how you begin to yearn for one another with the affection of Christ as you pray for one another. Pray for those who annoy you. Pray for those you find difficult. Pray for those who, who sing a little too loudly or a little too off-key or don't have rhythm or don't clap on beat. Pray for them. Pray for, for those that you can't figure out. Pray for those who, who make you angry, uncomfortable, or, or whatever it may be. Pray for this body. I believe that, that we will love each other with a higher and wider and longer and deeper love to the degree that we're willing to pray for each other. Pray that we would experience our partnership in the gospel as partaking in grace. That we would experience the reality of what we profess and experience the reality of what we are working for and experience the fullness of all that the gospel has to offer. We're praying that we would abide in Christ. Pray. So, give thanks. Pray. Lastly, partake partake in this partnership. We give thanks because we look around and it appears that we are participating in the gospel and in of grace through Christ together. But we know it's so easy for all of us to slip out of true participation in the life of Christ and into going through the motions. We know our own hearts. We know we can go from this, you know, blissful experience of worship to distracted and just doing it. Church, don't miss out on the fullness that is offered to you through Christ. Partake. Abide in Christ. Thanksgiving, joy, love, the affection of Christ, these can only be truly had in Christ. You have to partake. For some of us, that may mean returning to the love that we had at first. 
It may mean repenting of hard-heartedness and, and, and turning once again to our Savior. It might be praying along with the psalmist, you know, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then running again to the love of Christ that saved us. For others, it may mean partaking in Christ for the first time. If that's you, if you're sitting there and right now you're thinking, how? How can I partake? Hear the words of Paul that he spoke to the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As we partake, well, well, together we can rejoice that the Lord has once again opened our hearts to pay attention to the word that he has spoken. So church, thank God, pray, and partake.